Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show, where I, your rabbi, am dedicated, solemnly committed to revealing how the world, yes, you know, really works. And one of the ways in which the world really works is that there is a natural sequence for human development. Uh, what I mean by that, for instance, is that uh, if archaeologists were to produce a, a study that reveals that some earlier civilization had never ever mined coal, had never discovered steel, but uh, nonetheless were building heavier-than-air uh, flying machines. Right? I would laugh, and I would say, they're talking nonsense. I don't know what it is they found, but I will tell you this, that no civilization that hasn't figured out how to work with metallic alloys, and no civilization that hasn't figured out how to mine coal, has built airplanes. It doesn't work like that. If somebody were to tell me, oh, you know, civilization in this remote area uh, discovered um, uh, electricity. They, they've got electricity. They use electricity. They've got electrical street lighting, but they've never, ever gone through the steam power phase. Uh, I'd say that's extremely unlikely because one thing leads to another. And uh, this is one of the reasons that we don't have, never did have, coal-powered airplanes. We had coal-powered railways, and we had coal-powered steamships, but uh, we never, ever had a coal-powered airplane. Why is that? Well, because uh, imagine you took a log of wood, uh, let's say it weighs 10 pounds, shall we? And you put it in your fireplace and you light it. The amount of heat that it would radiate out into your house is limited. It's better than what would come from a handful of dried leaves and twigs, but it's not that good. You wouldn't get much heat before the log was consumed and uh, that was the end of it. Now, if you got a, the same weight of coal, you got a few big lumps of coal totaling 10 pounds and you lit them in your fireplace, astonishingly, you would discover that there'd be a huge amount of heat would come into your house and it would last quite a long time. And this was why coal became a game changer. Now, that's a long time ago, but it was. But the biggest game changer of all was 1859. Because in 1859, in a uh, small town in Pennsylvania called Titusville, a guy who had been working as a railway conductor found oil, drilled a well and found oil. Now that changes everything. Because although there's a huge jump in the amount of heat you get from coal over a log of wood, and yes, many people do heat their homes with, with, uh, with wood, but those who do know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a huge jump from coal to wood, but as big as that jump is, it's dwarfed by how big a jump in heating efficiency came when we moved from coal to oil. As a matter of fact, if you now take a few gallons of oil, 10 pounds of it, and you heat your house with that, the amount of heat you get from that is hugely superior to the amount of heat you get from coal. And the reason there are no coal-powered airplanes is because, well, energy really is heat, right? That's what energy is. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, there's uh, something called hydropower, right, or, uh, or water uh, power, meaning dams that generate power <clears throat> through spinning turbines because water pours through them. 
and there's no heat there. And you'd be right, excepting that it was the heat of the sun that made that water power possible in the first place. In other words, the water cycle is driven by the heat of the sun, which evaporates water out of the ocean, puts it in clouds, and then winds also created by the sun drive the clouds over land and there eventually they discharge the uh, large volumes of water they contain and that water in smart places not california but in smart places that water gets uh, put in dams and those dams generate electricity Uh, The Canadian province of Ontario is big on hydropower. There's obviously a lot of hydropower generated at Niagara Falls and many other places. But uh, the reason there's no coal-driven airplane is because the amount of coal that would need to be carried is so heavy that it's self-defeating. The plane wouldn't be able to lift off the ground because the weight of the fuel would keep it firmly planted on the runway. So yes, you could have a steam engine uh, driving a propeller, and you could have that steam engine, heat, uh, the, steam, the steam heated by a boiler, and that boiler could be heated by a coal. All of that is possible, and that, that propeller would spin merrily, but uh, not for long enough and not for fast enough in order to get the weight of coal necessary to make all that happen off the ground. But because oil produces so much more heat or energy, uh, it was uh, a massive breakthrough that eventually made possible the Wright brothers' early uh, early flying experiments and uh, flight to this very day, where airplanes today are still fueled by oil. All of that uh, happened in 1859 when oil was discovered. Now, it's it's significant, of course, because prior to that time, whereas, yeah, I mean, people did uh, use paraffin or kerosene or wax candles, but it was in small quantities. Whale oil was being used in larger quantities to provide light in America. But oil was interesting. And oil as a substance is interesting, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit, particularly because um, I'm recording this show in the middle of Hanukkah, the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, uh, usually falls somewhere around December time, and uh, its date is the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kislev. And because the Hebrew calendar is based on the moon, whereas the uh, conventional civil calendar we employ is, is based on the sun, uh, there is not a parallelism between the two, and the, uh, the, the Hebrew calendar can move uh, backwards or forwards out of sync with the solar calendar by uh, as, as much as 20 days, approximately. So, uh, what we're talking about now is oil because the holiday of Hanukkah revolves around oil. It's the significant thing. Uh, the, 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 on, a, on a child Sunday school level, it has to do with the fact that uh, a tiny bit of oil lasted a long time. But on an adult level, on a more sophisticated intellectual level for uh, thinking adults, uh, there's something very important going on here. And that is that until human beings arrived on the planet and until human beings started using oil, what was the purpose of oil on the, in the world? The answer is nothing at all. It was put there, and again, uh, there are religious views on it which I subscribe to, and there are secular views on it that other people subscribe to. And either way, whatever you subscribe to, I'm happy you're listening. Uh, this show is for everybody, everybody who needs a rabbi, that is. And along uh, uh, comes, along come human beings, and all of a sudden, oil has real use. Now, it took 
a few thousand years of human existence in order for oil to be uh, to sort of find its natural usage obviously but eventually that arrives what was the good of oil up to that point well if any of you have visited the la brea tar pit on wilshire boulevard in los angeles california uh, then you know the answer to this for everyone else i will provide the answer in just a few moments when we get back from this little break the uh, website is rabbidaniellappin.com okay rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, it um, it will show you that there is a product which is on a special sale just till the end of hanukkah right hanukkah ends this coming wednesday so if you uh, are um, a rapid deployer of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show, then you've only got three or four days left in order to uh, make use of this. What am I talking about? It's a resource called Festival of Lights, how to transform a 24-7 existence into a 25-8 life. Uh, 25 re- relates to the 25th of the month of Kislev, uh, or I guess uh, the 25th of December as well, if we're talking about uh, enlightening holidays. And uh, the eight applies to the eight days of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the only Jewish holiday that begins on the 25th of any month, and it's the only holiday that runs for eight days. Now, when uh, when you think of eight in Jewish numerology, and every number in in ancient Jewish wisdom has an associated idea. There is no question about what the associated idea of the number eight is. And I'll tell you that also coming right back. So uh, visit the website, read up about uh, Festival of Light, and uh, it is available at a very uh, discounted price for an immediate download of that Uh, study program and uh, that is up until the last day of the holiday of Hanukkah coming right up and I will be coming we're back again everybody here is the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show and you are there I am here and as usual I thank you very much indeed for being part of the show thanks so much to those of you who communicate with me on Facebook at Rabbi Daniel Lappin those of you who comment on the show on our website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Wherever and however you let me know your thoughts and uh, desires on the show, I appreciate it. And again, uh, those of you who've been doing such a fabulous job of letting new people know about the show, you're obviously extremely successful because the number of people listening to the show continues to grow. And here's an interesting thing. Well, I don't always mention this, right? There's some shows I don't mention the fact that some of you have been uh, promoting the show and encouraging other people to hear about it, letting people know about it. And on those weeks where I don't mention it, we get a smaller jump in listeners than in the weeks I do mention it. So uh, I'm mentioning it. And uh, I obviously would greatly appreciate you letting somebody new uh, be aware of the show. Let them know about it. And make it easy for them, folks. Uh, send them a link or something. You know, people like, we all do. We all like things that are easiest. And uh, if you're trying to encourage somebody to do something for you as a favor, then the least you can do is make it as easy as you possibly can. I'll give you an example of that. Um, quite regularly, people ask me to write jacket blurbs for books they've written. And, and I've, I've done a fair number of that. There's two ways of doing that. One of them is saying attached is a PDF file um, <clears throat> with my, the manuscript for my book. And I'd really appreciate you giving me a, uh, a blurb or an endorsement. Okay. So um, this, is, this is not simple, right? Because you're asking me to read your entire book. And, you know, like, like everyone else, I have a book list. I have things that are waiting for my attention that I, uh, I know I need to read. This is uh, an intrusion. And then you're also not helping me at all on what to say. Uh, 
the way that I prefer getting these requests, and I get a lot of them this way, which is, um, if you like, I'd be happy to send you a copy of my book, or I'll send you the galleys, or I'll send you a PDF. But meanwhile, uh, here is a list of chapter headings and a summary of what the book's about. And um, here are some samples of uh, endorsements I've received from other people, or here are some samples of the kind of endorsement I would appreciate getting if you felt comfortable writing something like this. You're making it really easy for me. Now, I'm not going to just copy, I'm not going to take that, and I am going to take a look at, at the book, but at least this way, I don't feel that I have to read the whole thing. So very often, I'm prevented from giving an endorsement to somebody who I'd like to give an endorsement to because I can't give an endorsement to a book I haven't looked at at all. And so if you give me a summary, you give me a sense of what it's about, then I can skim the book and I can go through it very much more quickly than I would if I have to read it from scratch. Anyways, so uh, if you are going to do me a favor and try and uh, encourage another person to hear this show... Uh, make it as easy as you possibly can for them to do so. And so uh, back to oil. Why? Because I'm recording this show in Hanukkah, and it has uh, a great deal to do with oil. In fact, it's all about oil, and uh, we're living in a time where oil, and for the foreseeable future, by the way, and remember you heard that on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show first, for the foreseeable future, we will still be using oil. Electric cars, yeah, not so much yet. Uh, oil still rules and uh, will continue to do so and uh, and it'll be quite a while by the way it'll be quite a while before we see electrically driven airplanes again at the moment the weight of batteries is very high uh, so far we haven't come across anything which gives you as much energy for as little weight as oil does. Now, nuclear power obviously will do that. So why no nuclear-powered airplanes? Well, for the moment, their technology requires shielding. And the shielding from radioactive uh, activity has to be either lead or concrete. And needless to say, uh, we're not going to be able to get an airplane up into the air with too much lead or concrete on board. So that's where that stands. But... Uh, uh, oil, until human beings began using it, oil, uh, it just trapped animals. And where, where there were many parts of the world, Pennsylvania was one, California was another, where there were certain places where oil just sort of bubbled to the surface. There's so much oil beneath the grounds that there's certain places that would bubble to the surface. Near Santa Barbara, by the way, California is one in the center of where Los Angeles now was this other one, and uh, animals would get trapped in it. Animals would come there initially looking at it and thinking that it might be water because from the distance it looks, a pool of oil looks as if it's water, especially if you're an animal with no experience of any other liquid. And uh, they'd fall into it and get trapped and drown, and that's why it turned out to be a, uh, a very rewarding place for archaeologists to find animal uh, skeletons of animals that long ago had tumbled into the oil and uh, their uh, bodies had been somewhat preserved in in that substance. So along come human beings and oil is now useful. Well, it's very interesting because this is now why oil turns out to be the substance, substance that symbolizes human beings partnering with God on keeping the earth, keeping the world running. Uh, another way we partner with God is by having children, bringing children into the world. And one of the ways that we formally acknowledge our role in partnering with God is circumcising little boys. And so that um, uh, removal of the foreskin serves as a reminder to every to every Jewish male and also for that matter to many many Christians circumcised as well uh, and I these days I have to stress men um, so every time I notice my organ and I see and I'm reminded that that's not what the majority of male organs look like because mine has had its foreskin removed I look at that and I remember that that then is a symbol of the fact that we 
are partners with God. It's not that God just created a world and dumped us here. It's that he created a world and he's keeping it going. And he expects us to do our part in keeping it going as well. That's one of the reasons that the very first instruction to human beings um, of a positive commandment was to have children, be fruitful and multiply, because that's part of making sure that the world continues. Oil is a great other example, because oil is put there and it's useless until human beings arrive on the planet and develop this relationship with energy, understanding that a benevolent and loving God doesn't want us to be engaged in drudgery. He wants us to utilize energy. He doesn't want us to walk from place to place. Uh, Talking of walking from place to place, I can't help but sharing a recollection with you. As many of you know, uh, I was born and grew up on the continent of Africa, and um, I have the clearest recollection of being on drives with my family as a, as a young boy. And uh, we would be driving uh, long distances through the veldt because we used to love going to game reserves and um, areas where you could camp and, and, and see wildlife. And in doing that, we would be traveling over roads that just wound their way for mile after mile after mile with no other indication of human existence. No telegraph poles, no fences on the side of the road, no farmhouses at all, nothing but a blacktop road winding its way through the African felt. And... uh, and you could, you could literally drive for two hours like that with not seeing any sign of life, excepting that what you would see every now and then, and if, you know, if, I, if I had to sort of remember how often would be, you know, like every 15 to 30 minutes, you'd see an African person walking along the road, usually with some package balanced on his or her head, and uh, just walking wrapped in a blanket usually, and always puzzled, you know, in the hot African sun, why uh, in a blanket? Well, uh, a blanket insulates in both directions. So interestingly enough, it, uh, it is not a bad way in hot weather of, uh, of going. At any rate, my point is that uh, I don't know where these, I never did know where these people were walking from or to, but wherever it was, it was definitely going to be a multi-day journey. And, you know, maybe they had their food and, and stuff to camp in the packages, large packages that carry on their heads. But it was something to see, I have to tell you. I've never forgotten it because it, it, was, it was hard for me to grapple with this idea that there are some people who get from place to place on foot. And me, I just sit comfortably in the back of my parents' car and... And I was struck by this contrast, and I I really never quite, as a child, never quite got it. But um, God certainly does not intend his children to walk from place to place. He intends us to use energy and to maximize our time on this planet by wasting as little time as possible in the drudgery of transport, of just getting from place to place. And so use an airplane when you can, use a car when you can, use a motorcycle, uh, but whatever it is, use energy to make your life more productive. That is the the concept, concept behind oil. But uh, wait a second, what has that got to do with eight? What has that got to do with the eight days of Hanukkah? Or for that matter, the only other eight in Hebrew numerology, and that is the eighth day of the little boy's life is when he's circumcised. Has to be on the eighth day. Don't do it on the seventh. Don't leave it till the eleventh. Has to be on the eighth day. All part of this meaning of eight. But what's going on? Let me explain coming right back. Website, rabbidaniellappin.com, rabbidaniellappin.com, okay? And uh, 
What you can do is, by the way, if you're trying to encourage somebody to uh, listen to the uh, podcast, you could, of course, send them the website and tell them, look for the podcast on the website. That's just another easy way to do it as well. Another thing on the website is a one-hour audio program called Festival of Light, transforming a 24-7 existence into a 25-8 life. And uh, that's easily found on the website, special holiday price till the end of Hanukkah and you can download it right away for uh, nothing more than the cost of a fancy cup of coffee. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, back with you in just a moment. Back again, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. I, your rabbi, reminding you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And one of the things that never changes are the laws of physics that determine how much heat or energy you can get from a pound of coal or a pound of oil, or for that matter, from a pound of uranium, if we're going to use the fission process of nuclear power. All of that is clearly defined. And uh, another thing that's clearly defined is that a good and loving God wished for his people to use energy. Uh, We are able to use our time ever so much more productively than in mere drudgery, the drudgery of walking or running when we need to get from one place to another, or for that matter, the, the drudgery of making things we need by hand whether it's clothing or furniture or petroleum itself, making all of these things can be done either very slowly or can be done very quickly by using energy. And so the use of energy is one of the great gifts. And uh, in ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, there is an account that when uh, Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, One of the gifts that God gave them to take with them was the use of fire. And there's really a very colorful and and picturesque um, (laughs) um, account of what happened then. I laugh because I I recall as a a boy being taught this, and I was taught it in in conjunction with a joke. My father told me a joke, which... I'm sure it's not as funny now to you as it is to me because I still remember and I see him telling it to me, but it's, he says, uh, a, a, a country guy walked into a hardware store in the city and uh, he said, I hear you've got these newfangled uh, things called a chainsaw. And the uh, store owner brought out a chainsaw and uh, sold it to the man. He proudly went off. Uh, not three days later, the guy's back in the store and says, uh, you know, this here chainsaw is broke. It doesn't cut any better than my old handsaw. You know, I'm, I cut down trees. It takes me, you know, 20 minutes to cut down a tree with my old saw. With this one, it's taking me even longer. And the um, the store owner said, that's strange. It's It, it should be working fine. And he uh, reached down, gripped the, 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 the chainsaw, pulled on the starter cord, and the thing leapt to life and it roared away. And all of a sudden, the old-timer who had bought the store jumped up and he said, What's that? What's that? Well, uh, obviously, I, I was enormously tickled as a boy to think of him sawing um, backwards and forwards using the chainsaw in the same way that one would use a handsaw. And uh, in, in the same way, the, the story that uh, I was taught was that Adam and Eve are about to leave the Garden of Eden, and they're frightened, and they're, and they're getting outside. It's cold, and it's dark, and it's not, uh, this is not what the Garden of Eden was like. And they, they, they say to God, how are we going to manage? And God says, I have a gift for you. And uh, God then strikes two stones together by a little pile of kindling, and all of a sudden, a you know, warm, hot orange flame leaps up, and of course, uh, Adam jumps up in the air and yells, "What's that?" Same, same thing. And uh, what's that is the secret of fire, and that is what energy is. By the way, when people speak about energy, uh, you can really 
um, substitute the word fire or heat, and and that is what energy is. And uh, it's one of the reasons. Well, all right, we won't we won't we won't spend a lot of time on the physics of that for now. But uh, what is interesting is that um, that the contrast is always between Jerusalem and Athens. I I would think of that today, by the way. Like, what is the where is the natural uh, legacy of Greece found most in the United States today? And I would say in the uh, in the uh, academic system, the universities of America. It's one of the reasons that uh, universities usually try and have at least one big main building that looks like the Parthenon uh, in Rome, on the in in Athens, on the Acropolis. You know, a building with Greek columns along the front. Uh, it's an attempt to to sort of replicate the the Greek legacy. And uh, and that's why in uh, university philosophy departments they start off with Plato and Aristotle, and in some of the uh, in some of the, um, uh, the arts departments they study the plays of early Greek playwrights. There's very much of a consciousness that they're carrying on the legacy of the Greeks, and that's why there's the Greek system of fraternities and sororities. Uh, it's it, the the whole of American academia is suffused in the Greek tradition, and the Greek tradition, or Athens, if you like, always stood for the diametrically opposite of the Jerusalem position. So Jerusalem stood for a godly view of reality, and uh, Greece and Athens stood for a secular vision of reality, and so not surprisingly. Uh, the contrast is is found in in almost uh, every aspect um, of life. So, for instance, in the uh, in the Jerusalem model, um, we try and model ourselves on God, right? Many of my Christian friends um, say, you know, say, "What would Jesus do?" Um, some of their some of their kids wear what would Jesus do bracelets, and that's that is carrying out this exact concept that we want to be like God as much as we can. Obviously, we don't have the powers, but at least the the goodness of God we want to try and emulate in our own way as best we can. And so, uh, God is patient. We want to be patient. God treats us, His children, with loving kindness, um, giving us discipline when we need it. We want to try and be like that with our children as well. So this, this concept of very much of modeling ourselves on God is very much a Jerusalem idea. What is the Athens idea? Well, you only have to read the stories of Greek mythology to realize that they model their gods on human beings. We improve our worst character traits by trying to be more like God's goodness and they have gods that exemplify the worst of all human behaviors. Robbery, theft, lust. Um, uh, <laughs> you just look at the, the parade of Greek gods through Greek mythology, and it's perfectly clear that uh, Greece is the very opposite of Jerusalem. And uh, one other example of that is, as I've told you, part of the biblical tradition is that God wants us to use energy because that gives us more time and energy to devote ourselves to the things that he wants us to do, becoming closer to him. And what is the Greek view on energy? Well, it's very simple. Again, go to Greek mythology and read the story of how the hero Prometheus wanted to get the 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 gift of fire which the gods kept to themselves and was zealously preventing mere human mortals from having access to this great gift of fire and zeus was not wouldn't allow anybody to to get hold of it prometheus comes steals it in order to give to humanity zeus catches him and subjects him to eternal torture so to this very day prometheus is chained to a rock on a mountainside and uh, eagles uh, chew away at his liver. I, if I have that correct, I'm pretty sure I do. At any rate, it isn't a nice thing, I'll tell you that. 
so the Greek view is human beings must not have energy. The biblical vision is human beings must have energy and should use it. Not surprisingly, American culture, having turned its back on Jerusalem around about 1962, and uh, if you're a newcomer to the show, then you're going to have to go back and listen to earlier shows because um, obviously I'm not really saying that you know, on the 14th of February in 1962, there was this huge change. It's not not how the world really works at all. But uh, it was in the early 60s, uh, we switched our orientation in America from Jerusalem to Athens. And not surprisingly, a consequence of that is using energy is evil. Using energy is bad. And uh, uh, for a number of years, I had a, a wonderful vehicle. I had a 12-cylinder BMW, um, which I sold. I no longer have it. But uh, it was a wonderful car. I mean, just think of what 12 cylinders means, right? It's smooth, right? My wife's sewing machine makes more vibration than the engine of that of that um, 750IL I had. The reason, of course, is you think about it, 12 cylinders means that when the crankshaft makes one revolution, the um, cylinders fire one time. For each, each cylinder fires once for a revolution, and they are spread through the 360 degrees of a revolution. So 12 times 30 is 360. Every 30 degrees, there's a cylinder firing. That's very different from, a, shall we say, a four-cylinder engine, which fires every 90 degrees. And so only four times a revolution is a thump, thump, thump. So obviously a four-cylinder engine vibrates. Uh, it takes great technology in order to diminish that vibration. But if you're doing it 12 times a revolution, well, all right, fine. Um, there's probably three or four other people like me who, who actually care about that. But at any rate, um, the reason I was going to mention it is that not once, but more than once, uh, usually in the parking lot of a Whole Foods store, um, and you can see why it would be there. I was actually approached by a stranger more than one time who zealously and with a uh, school momish look on the face wagged a finger at me and said, you shouldn't drive such a fuel inefficient car, such a, a car that uses so much fuel. And uh, I'd say, why not? I'm not asking you to pay for it because we must save energy. Really? Like, how about people have three cups of coffee a day? Why shouldn't we save coffee? Well, we can just grow more coffee. Well, guess what? We're finding new energy all the time. And there are some who believe, and I'm not in any way sure that they're wrong, is that uh, oil is not the result of decaying carcasses of dinosaurs. But uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And uh, But in reality, it is an ongoing process that uh, new oil is actually being produced deep underground, even now as we speak. I don't know enough about the topic to be sure, but I wouldn't at all be surprised. That doesn't shock me if it turns out that that is the answer, because I do not see a shortage of energy. But anyway, that uh, being the case, uh, quick pause and a quick break because I've got to tell you something about ancient Jewish wisdom. I've got to tell you something about why Hanukkah is eight days long and why a little baby boy gets circumcised on day eight after he's born. Let me tell you that coming back. And meanwhile, if you if you want to have this yourself and learn more about this topic, you just go to rabbidaniellappin.com and right there you order yourself a special discount price for just another few days on a product called a Festival of Light. Um, and uh, it is um, what I'm talking about now and a whole lot of other stuff uh, is in that program. And you'll be able to uh, hear it again on, a, on an audio CD program like that. I'm able to um, explain things more fully than I can on a podcast. So there it is, rabbidaniellappin.com. Um, the product is called Festival of Light. Transform your 24-7 existence into a 25-8 life. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, your rabbi, back in just a moment. Welcome back, everybody, to the final segment of uh, this Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show episode. And uh, 
I want to give you an example of something that I have to explain. In English, there is no significance whatsoever to words that grow by adding letters. Let me give you an example. Take the word pin, P-I-N, right? You use it to, uh, when you're dressmaking, you can hold uh, the pattern to the fabric with it, a pin. Okay, fine. Now, you can make another word. This is like um, mental scrabble, right? If we put an S in front of that word, we get the word spin. Okay, it's what a, uh, uh, what a top does, or a, a, a dreidel, if you like, which is a, a little top kids play with on Kanuka. Uh, so, pin leads to spin, but there is no meaning based on that linkage. You know, nobody says, well, it's, you know, no, it's just, it's, it's, just an, it's just how the language works. It doesn't mean anything at all. But in Hebrew, in the Lord's language, oh yeah, it does mean something. But we don't have to stop with spin. We can add an E to the end and we can say spine. Okay, well, we know what spine is. And uh, we can add a T to the end of that word, and we get a spinet, which is a uh, kind of um, old musical instrument, a little like an early piano with one string for each key. But uh, So we go from a pin that can prick to something that spins to the backbone to a musical instrument just by adding a letter in each case means nothing whatsoever, Okay. Now we're going to take a look at it in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's a little bit different. It does. And so we're going to start off with a two-letter word, shame. And if I were to write that, it transliterated in English, I'd, I'd write it S-H-E-I-M, or S-H-E-M, Shem. Uh, but in Hebrew, the two letters are just the consonant letters of the S-H, that's one letter, and the M is one letter. It means a name, all right. It's also, by the way, it happens to be the name of one of Noah's sons. And uh, for that reason, we have the word Semites or the word anti-Semitism. All of that comes meaning descended from Shem. Uh, in Hebrew, the sound SH sh, is the same as the sound for S. It's one letter, one letter that makes both those sounds. So uh, Shem or Semite, all based on the same thing. But at any rate, <clears throat> we've got uh, Shem, meaning a name. Now, if we add one letter to the end of that, the letter N for November, we get Shemen, and it's a three-letter word, spelled S, if I would transliterate it, I'd spell it S-H-E-M-E-N, Shemen. That means oil. All right, now we're getting somewhere. So we've got name, and oil. Now, when does a baby boy get his name? Well, he gets named on the eighth day at his circumcision. All right, let's add one more letter. So we've got shame led to shemen. Now we've got the word shmone. We put the letter hey on the end of that word. And so we've now, if I had to transliterate it, I'd spell it S-H-E-M-E-N-E-H. Something like that. And uh, then that means the number eight. Not surprising, right? Now, how about if I add in the front of it the letter chet, which has the numerical value eight in the uh, in Hebrew numerology. And we've now got the word chashmona, which means Hasmonean, who are the people who uh, were the heroes of the Jewish rebellion against the Greeks. Um, you know, well before the time of Jesus, and uh, and the, uh, the 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 time and the place in which the miracle of limitless oil occurred. All right. Well, uh, well, it so happens that in the book of Numbers, uh, towards the end, there is a section where the name of every camping site at which the Israelites camped on their way from Egypt to Israel. Every campsite is listed. You won't be shocked to hear that campsite number 25 is Chashmona, 
that word, which is the composite word with which we end after adding one letter at a time to the word that started off Shem or the Hebrew word for name. So the name that the boy gets on his uh, on the eighth day of his life, um, and it has something to do with oil, and I'll explain that in a moment, uh, comes to be the number eight, comes to be the Hasmoneans, comes to be the 25th campsite on the way out of Egypt, and uh, all of that tied together. Yeah, sure. As I said earlier, oil is one of the ways in which we uh, collaborate with our creator. He put oil in the ground, left it there, and I think he continues probably to put oil in the ground, but its only use is for human beings. There is not a single cat, cow, or camel, or kangaroo that has the slightest use for oil. This is unique to human beings, and uh, we collaborate with our creator by using that oil to, have, to save ourselves time, to stop spending our time on drudgery and being able to do things that are more important and more creative and things that bring us closer to our creator. All of that uh, emerging from the uh, way, and I said earlier, we convert a 24-7 existence to a 25-8 life, meaning recognizing the value of time, recognizing how important it is to run our lives in such a way so as that we are most time efficient, right? People say, oh, you must be fuel efficient. No, you have to be time efficient because there's plenty fuel. There's not plenty time. So much, much to be learned there on the Hanukkah model, and you can easily do that at um, the RabbiDanielLappin.com website. Take a look at the audio CD program. By the way, you can download it right away for the, the price of a, um, a Vente uh, white chocolate mocha with caramel and whipped cream. And uh, I'm not going to say where that is because the national coffee chain is not yet advertising on this show. But when they do, I'll tell you their name. But for the price of a fancy cup of coffee, you can download right now 24-7 to 25.8, Festival of Lights. Great audio program. You'll make yourself happy and you will also make me happy because I like selling my services and being useful to you. So all of that is um, uh, what lies in the uh, audio CD. It's also the essence of what the holiday of Hanukkah is really all about, which is essentially uh, using time effectively I was always struck by the fact that uh, we do not try to pretend time isn't going by. We don't see age as an enemy. We, we see it as uh, the way God created us, and uh, it brings us closer and closer uh, to a day of spiritual transition where we are at one with God. But, um, but on the way, we don't try and remain adolescence into middle age. It struck me as fantastic that the company that produces the um, men's uh, hair dye to stop yourself from looking gray and to make yourself stay looking young, it's called Grecian Formula. Once again, a clash between Jerusalem and Athens, a clash between Bible and Greece, a clash between a church or synagogue or Bible-based vision for America and a Grecian or secularized vision for America. Uh, our attitude towards time, very much a part of that. I'll be happy to use as much oil as I can afford. I'll even use coal if it buys me time. I will encourage my wife to use paper and plastic goods so she doesn't have to worry about uh, dishwashing if we're having a crowd of children over or crowd of anybody. Uh, I encourage her. I mean, I look, I, I like elegance. I, I wish we could always eat on china with uh, silver uh, or at least stainless steel flatware. It would be lovely, but we don't. We use that for very special occasions. The rest of the time, paper. You know why? It saves us time. That's all. It saves us time. And uh, we have no compunction about doing anything at all that saves us time, provided we remember the, the parallel requirement, which is that we use our time 
diligently and carefully. Well, my friends, uh, that's as far as I'm going to go for this week, even though I meant all of this only as an introduction uh, to what I really wanted to tell you about, which uh, had to do with why it is that through uh, coal and then oil, how it was that um, places like in the United States, um, coal was found in Pennsylvania, as was oil, but coal also in Pennsylvania, and iron ore was being mined uh, on the shores of the Great Lakes. And so those two were brought together. In other words, industrial development, the advancing of human ability, all having to do with saving time, had to do with finding a way to move the iron ore from, um, from the Great Lakes to Pittsburgh, and there to use coal and oil, uh, coal and iron ore to make steel. And that's why it is that for so many years, uh, the great steel-making industries, Bethlehem Steel, were all based in that part of the United States. Um, in the United Kingdom, we had a similar situation where, uh, where um, uh, coal was found in one place, iron was found in another, they brought them together, and the steel industry took off. And without steel, there'd be no washing machines. Without washing machines, we'd all be washing our clothes on the banks of the river by hand, using up a lot of time in drudgery. So may you be blessed during this season of enlightenment. May you be blessed with a joyous and uplifting Hanukkah and uh, a joyous and uplifting Christmas season, all based on remembering that God wants us to maximize the use of our time. And energy is one of the great gifts he placed in our hands to make that possible. Until next week, I am your rabbi. That's right, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And visit the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and look at the audio program. Better than looking at it, buy it. It's called uh, Festival of Lights. Until next week, I remain your rabbi. And uh, I wish you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless you.